0: Welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast with your guest host, Tish Hevel, CEO and founder of the Brain Donor Project. Join Tish as she talks to veterans and veteran caregivers about the importance of brain donation to help researchers learn more about brain injuries and diseases that affect our veteran community. Now, here's your host, Tish Hevel.
1: Hi, everybody. I want to welcome Suzanne Waddington with us today. She is a career RN who has spent all that time working with military families. Suzanne, welcome. Hi, Tish. Thank you. Great to be here with you. I'm so glad you're here. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the organization that you're with now?
2: Absolutely. So I work for Semper America's Fund, which is one of the larger um, nonprofits serving wounded warriors in the, in the country today. Um, we've been around since uh, 2003, actually, um, mainly programming for, for lifetime support, really. We say we will be with you for your lifetime um, to serve those um, with financial needs, but also many, many, many other wellness programs. And uh, part of that is the Visiting Nurse Program. Um, I'm a nurse who is uh, working alongside 20 other nurses within um, the fund across the country. We cover all 50 states. And we provide um, kind of long-term medical case management for our service members, help them to navigate the medical systems they're dealing with, help them navigate some of the unique needs they have, and help reduce the barriers to care.
1: Wow. That's um, a pretty broad mission, which is great because, you know, there are many needs. Has the, pan- let me just ask you first, has the pandemic impacted your ability to help? When you say you work with all these families, do you do that
2: face-to-face? or We are uniquely able to do face-to-face visits. Of course, we did curtail that during the pandemic. We did a lot of other support via Zoom. We all became very good at the right. telehealth thing, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or Skype or FaceTime or whatever they were comfortable with. Um, so we continued that as much as possible because for some, that was just critical, but we are back at making face-to-face visits, of course, following guidelines as best we can.
1: Gotcha. So, um, I imagine you see a lot of brain injuries. We do.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Absolutely. Okay. And, um, does that manifest more physically or emotionally in your opinion?
2: Oh, wow. So, um, pretty well known how much the, uh, the symptomology for brain injury and PTSD overlap, right? There's so much overlap going on. So we see, um, the brain injuries manifest in any number of ways, of course, many, 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 but, um, we try to tease out the history. We listen, listen to our, our, our patients, our, our service members stories as best we can. We don't always have access to all their medical records unless they share those with us, but we, um, and their service records, of course, as well. But we, we just do detailed histories and assessments to determine what their exposures may have been, always with regards to blast injury or trauma, trauma to the head. Um, and so that is part of our nursing assessment. And and absolutely, we see um, physical and mental health manifestations across the board, both. Mm. Um,
1: do you talk about brain donation with these? you
2: know, veterans and their families? You know, sometimes I absolutely do. Um, it's a difficult conversation to have, right? It's it's kind of alongside the advanced directive conversations. I'm um, uniquely, have been uniquely uh, associated with organ donation. As a young nurse, one of my very first nursing jobs, I actually was working in ICU and had an experience with a young man who um ended up being an organ donor. And so um, it has always been at the forefront of my thought process with regards to just, just the gift that it can be as far as just living donation. Correct. Mm -hmm. But um, fortunately I have also had the, um, I don't want to say opportunity, a better word is just, I've had the incidents to have lost some of my service members to, um, any number of, of causes actually, but obviously to suicide, um, others to tragic accidents, uh, motor vehicle accidents, a few others to, um, actually cancer, brain Mm -hmm. cancer, and then, um, just a massive stroke one recently. And so Mm -hmm. I have had, um, the opportunity to work with some other organizations and 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 look into the option of brain donation for the purpose of research of course for this population. Um, and so I've I've had the the experience of actually working alongside a family to to broach this subject as well. A lot of my a lot of my service members luckily are learning about this more and more. They're recognizing that something has happened to them. They're not the same as how they used to be and they want they want to know, they want their families to know, and they want to know that whatever they've experienced, especially, unfortunately, because they're very frustrated with some of the voids and the care and the voids and just knowledge and knowledge base, mm-hmm. they want there to be learning done mm-hmm. to help their brothers. I mean, they are, they're they have lived, lived lives of service, right? Mm-hmm. And to those on their left and their right, it still remains very important to them to continue to do that. And so that's kind of the conversation we have in ways that they can continue to do that through through brain donation. Yeah. Do you find that um,
1: I'm always interested because I think newer generations of people have more self-awareness of what's going on. But I also think so. I don't know if it's that as much as stigmas about, you know, I- behavioral and emotional um, consequences of things that people have been through, um, make it, I hate to use the word easier, but more clear to people who are going through it. And it makes them a little more open to different kinds of therapies and things they might be able to do to advance science. What do you think?
2: Sure. Yeah, I do a lot of psychoeducation, and I just feel like knowledge is power. And the more they know about all of it, it gives them all the more tools to for their own health and wellness. And it does absolutely, you're absolutely right. It makes the conversation, it normalizes the issues. It makes the conversation easier. And once the conversation begins, then there's just a lot of opportunity for growth with that.
1: Yeah. Is, is it harder with the individuals or with their families to talk about brain donation?
2: Oh, always with the families, of course, because they're dealing with a situation usually where there's been a tragic loss of life, right? Because yeah, um, yeah. I'm still working with a population that's way too young to be passing away. Right. But uh, in general, no, I find that, that working with the veterans and having the conversation with the veterans, they're very open to it. They're They're generally more concerned about how their family might deal with the decision. But of course, I always have long conversations with them about how important that conversation is to have with their family members. Um, as you know, I work in brain donation in
1: a, a broader population. One of the things that we find, and, and I'm wondering if, if you see this as well, that um, after, uh, you know, in the face of a great loss, many families tell me that they, they feel some sense of comfort knowing that this could, this great loss could actually, you know, help future generations deal. Do you find that with military families or are they just more sad that the suffering is you know what how do they feel do they feel that way
2: they absolutely feel they they recognize their um, their service members or family members interest in serving in continuing to serve even after they've passed most of those families um, are legacy military many families are legacy mm-hmm. military families and so that is that is a pride factor for them. That is uh, a, an openness to them to continue mm-hmm. to see their 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 family member to be able to continue to serve in that way. Absolutely,
1: that's wonderful. I'm I'm glad they feel that after all that that they've been through. Um, are, are yeah, you know,
2: so I'm sorry. The, the other thing that is is important, I think, to remind them too, though, is that many of the um, organizations out there that are are harvesting brains and are doing all this research are able to provide them with some sort of clarity, some sort of answers.
1: Yeah. The
2: pathology report. Absolutely. And that's so helpful for so many of them.
1: That's one of the things I was going to ask you about medically. uh, I recently learned that um, blast injuries create a different um, uh, pathology sort of in the brain than actual brain injuries do. Can you talk about that and how those symptoms are different?
2: Yeah, I'm. I'm not an expert on the subject at all, but I I have worked um, extensively with with um, some others who are, and what it seems to be that we've for years we've been aware of how blast exposure and blast waves affect other organs, right? The the mainly throughout the the chest and torso, um, and some of the pathology that's identifiable. After that, but no one had really started looking at the brain effects for quite some time, until just recently. And yes, they're finding very, very different pathologies within that, just with regards to at the cellular level. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I see um, a very interesting kind of—I call it the perfect storm. We see young men, mainly, and women, but young men mainly um, whose brains are still developing between the ages of say 18 and 25 placed in combat situations where they're exposed to blast. They are also many times in a very high stress situation, a low sleep situation, Mm. and they have um, experienced any number of like um, intensities of blast exposure, right? Many of them, some of them in training even, but many of them um, in very, very different scenarios. So I always explain to my guys, listen, you could be in an alleyway in Iraq with a very small blast exposure, a relatively small blast. And have all kinds of, you know, effect. that would be very different from a very large, large blast exposure in the middle of nowhere in Afghanistan. It just it's it, it, it goes to the the importance of assessment and hearing their stories and establishing, they love to tell them, they actually love to tell them. So um, assessing all those details, that that kind of, um, it allows me to see how there's very, very clear, there must be very, very clear evidence. There's some impact. There's some not to, uh, you know, point a term, but there is definitely an effect on their brains at that point. And then when you think about it, You know, young young kids now who have brain injury in, in, say, football or soccer, they are put on brain rest for a period of time, right? That's the the protocol. Yeah. The protocols are very, very strict with regards to that. Well, my guys did not rest. They usually stood up and shook it off and cleared the dust out of their ears. And they had to move on because they had Hmm. their buddies on their left and their right to continue to to move alongside with and, you know, and, mm-hmm. and perform in combat, let alone go back to the, you know, very rarely did they go back mm-hmm. and rest. So at least in, early on, now obviously yeah. the military got better at recognizing the risk and right. better at mitigating the risk um, as time went on. But early on, there was just a lot of brain injury that occurred because they were in a very high stress situation and those brains were very, very, very exposed and then also unable to heal. What sort of
1: um emotional, behavioral, mental symptoms do you see most often in your guys, whether it's blast injury sure. or yeah.
2: Sure. Um, well, the probably the number one is is sleep, sleep disruption. Hmm. Sleep seems to be across the board, and that's very well known with regards to TBI anyway, but then you add on PTSD, you add on a heightened um, sympathetic nervous system situation you add on um many times um shift you know shift work being awake at night and and asleep during the day or at any hours uh, or having to be prepared and on guard at any it's time hard um, on people in general sleep is right? consistent absolutely yeah. sleep and sleep is across the board i mean generally as a, as a society now right is a challenge yeah. so they almost all develop or have sleep issues. Um, Emotionally, many of them have um, a problem with quickness to anger, Um, a lot of anxiety issues that are just very difficult for them to control. Um, Impulsivity many times enters in, difficulty with judgment enters in. Um, These are places where many times, again, PTSD and TBI can overlap. Um, Depression, of course, becomes common. Mm-hmm. Um what's interesting if you're able is though is if you're able to treat TBI symptoms and address those many, many times the depression and the PTSD symptoms can really really improve. Some of that is just a feeling of lack of control that I think they have when they have these TBI symptoms happening um that many times are also cognitive mm-hmm. um, memory based short-term memory loss is very common and so when you are able to address some of those many times, some of the other um, issues start to resolve, or at least be become more manageable. manageable. Yeah.
1: So do you do that with talk therapy? The treatment is, or tell me how you treat. so,
2: so most of our, our uh, service members um, are in some sort of counseling or therapy. And that is very, very helpful. There are also um, many, 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 programs out there now that are being developed through some um, institutes of higher learning, uh, Mm. through the generous donations of some um, very well-known organizations. Mm. And we do a lot of support of these programs Um, and they are PTSD and TBI based. So they're looking Mm. at diagnostics for TBI and then also treating PTSD.
1: One of the sad things is those symptoms or, you know, behaviors are so tough on relationships at a time when, you know, individuals need the support the most. Do you um, do you help with services for the family beyond the individual so that they can be there and be more tolerant or accepting of those things that aren't pleasant?
2: Sure, we do our best with that. Absolutely, it's a huge challenge. We say it's kind of a ripple effect, right? And so we do a lot of caregiver support, a lot of family support, supporting the children. We have multiple programs mm. for children. Um, some of my favorites this summer, I participated in one uh, Zoom call zoo visit with a bunch of children of Wounded Warriors. <laughs> we went to the zoo virtually and painted a birdhouse. And so they pull us in as nurses to some of that other programming, which is absolutely wonderful. But yeah. Um, a big part of my role with the caregivers is, again, that education, because once you teach them and show them and help them better understand the reasons that he may be different um, and why there are valid reasons that he may be different and then how to mitigate those those changes and those challenges,
0: mm-hmm. just
2: all that education gives them so much more power, empowers them and helps them to under better understand. And many times. It's, it's pretty effective at helping manage just whatever those challenges might be.
1: Well, along the lines of knowledge is power, because I'm a big believer in that too. Um, one of the things that we do at the Brain Donor Project, while we work with many affected people with a lot of different kinds of disorders and As well as, you know, TBI and mental illness, um, mental illness, serious mental illness, maybe the largest single category of disorder that people report when they pre register, um, is we're now starting to lean on people to talk to their family and friends, not only about their own wishes and how they can help with that, but to consider brain donation as well. Because many times people who feel like, I don't have a neurologic disorder, so they're not going to want my brain. But the opposite of that is so true because these unaffected controls are needed in every single study. And so I wondered if you get the chance um, to talk to families about how they can also contribute to research by, um, and if you haven't, that's fine, but I'm going to ask you if you would (laughs) because we need those so bad. How do you feel about that?
2: You know, that's an ongoing conversation for, I think, all of us as nurses. We just recently were convened in Dallas together and we had some of those conversations around what should be the primary things we are discussing with our patients and our families, and um, I think across the board I, in all in in the entire medical realm, you know, it's it's critical that we have those conversations with people um, because you're right, controls are also important. Um, yeah. I think not only for brain, you know, brain study, but for any number of you know, just to donating your body, yeah, for study, um, in so many ways is is a great way. It's I know there are cultural and spiritual and other barriers for some people, but in many places that's also misunderstood. It and is so educating about that is really powerful. It is, and you know, the organ donation
1: industry, we'll call it, even though that sounds really weird, has done a great job of educating people about how, you know, religious, uh, you know, Perceived religious barriers really aren't barriers that most of the major religions, you know, go along with it. And and my perception is I don't know if you've had this when you're talking to military families, but so many people just don't even know that brain donation is a thing, or they think it's a regular part of organ donation, or, you know, that it's part of body donation, which, yes, they take your brain, but they don't use it for neurologic study. When when you approach a family, is that,
2: are you usually the one bringing it up, or do they? What's your, what's your yeah, read on that? Many times it's something that I'm bringing up. It's just not at the forefront of their thought process at that time. Yeah. So it's a conversation. The last um, incident I had to have this opportunity was actually someone that you have spoken with, I believe. Um, oh. And we had the conversation in a parking lot, you know, oh. COVID, unfortunately. Um And so I'll never forget that, but it was well-received and it was kind of one of those aha moments, actually, um, where everyone just looked at me when I said it and said, wow, yes, of course, he would want that. We know he would want that. And so difficult conversation to have, but I just sit back and take that deep breath and Mm -hmm. um, kind of ask for some divine You know, leadership with regards to the words and how to say them and with as much compassion as possible. And it it happens usually. It
1: happens. Okay. Good for you. Good for you. It's tough, though. You're right. And, And so many people haven't thought of it. You know, and so that's one of my challenges, maybe yours as well. Because if you haven't had the chance, thank God you're working so one-on-one with all these people that you, you know you you sometimes do have the opportunity to discuss it before the time comes. If you haven't had the chance to discuss it um, prior, then it's almost too much, and, and that's my fear. That as we Hopefully. yeah, back to the the thing about controls. You know, there's a giant study with the Brain Initiative. The Brain Initiative now, where they're going to be, you know, atlasing every single cell in the human brain, and they're going to need significant amounts of control tissues. Well, so I'm really feeling the urgency about control tissues because, you know, think about that for a second. They're going to need that tissue across every age range and and demographic axis, and so if people haven't yet heard anything about brain donation, you know, um, it's a much tougher topic. And so I I worry about people who the first time they hear about brain donation is because they're being asked to consent uh, to donate the brain of a loved one who has died in an accident, and they haven't even gotten their arms around the fact yet that they're gone. So two giant problems with that. One it's almost cruel to to approach with that even those of us who understand the medical value of this it's it's almost cruel and secondly you get one chance to ask that question you know just one and um it, you know you're not likely to get a consent if if people can't deal
2: you know what i mean absolutely and many times time is of the essence yep you know, and so you're you're in a, a time crunch many times. And so it's absolutely a critical conversation to be having way prior. Yeah. Way prior.
1: Yeah. Oh, you're a peach. I love this work you've done. Um, thank you so much for joining me. Any other words of wisdom for families who are dealing with, a, you know, a, a veteran who's who's trying to do their best?
2: Wow. Um, probably my greatest words would be they have served and sacrificed and they should be thriving, not just surviving. And there are so many resources out there. They do not have to do this alone. Many, many, many families are still trying to do it alone. And what we try to impress upon our service members are is that they never did anything alone in the military. Hardly ever. They always needed their team in the Marine Corps. They call it your fire team. And so they do everything with at least one other person. They don't have to do anything alone. No one's alone. And so we want them to know that and to always be able to trust that and to just take that step back and be willing to accept the help when it's there. Um, there are absolutely, absolutely people out there who want to help. And so it's just a matter of just being willing to accept it.
1: So... Lovely message. I can see why you are very good at your job.
2: Well, it's think a blessing. So? It's it's a great population, and it's a blessing, actually, to to work with people. I think the greatest growth comes in struggle. And so I just always see great potential in folks who've done what they've done. And and I really do believe that they have every opportunity to, to move forward as best they can. They should be given every opportunity to move forward as best they can.
1: Agreed. Thank you so much, Suzanne. I really appreciate you joining us today. It's been a Thank lovely you. conversation. you. You're really lovely it
2: was it. so fun to, to join you. <laughs> All right. You take care. Appreciate Thank you. it. You okay.
0: too. Thanks for joining us this week on the Coming Home Well podcast with your guest host, Tish Hevel. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. If you're interested in pre-registering for brain donation, Please visit BraindonorProject.org. Follow us on Instagram at Coming Home Well Podcast underscore BTS. Thank you for listening to Coming Home Well.